Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Well Lit Paths. I realized the last time we got together that my usual greeting that I've been using this whole time was originally meant for our Friday airing, which is where we started. Now that we moved to a Monday airing some time ago, I, I'll, I'll finally amend it with a similar question, but just more conscious of the timing. How was your week last week? You know, for me last week, as I studied this psalm and read through it, I, I began to ask myself, do, do I desire the things of God? And I've asked myself that question over the last week a few times. I love the things of God, and I want God to have his way in all things, but do I really desire those things? As I look at my own life recently, I've been contemplating and had the opportunity potentially for a serious career change. Um, Warehousing isn't horrible. I've had a lot of good years doing it, but there has been a desire in my heart for something more. And I've, I've run, you know, numbers as you do and looked at a couple of different rows. And I, I've found that with a little bit of initial sacrifice, I could make some new endeavors uh, just work for my family and I. And in doing so, that's when it struck me. Um, would I be willing to do the same thing and crunch numbers and make sacrifices if the Lord was calling me to serve uh, full time at a church? Don't get me wrong, I don't want to leave the church that I'm at now, and I don't believe currently that that's God's immediate plan for my life, but would I be willing to? And I, I, I honestly don't know if I can answer that question yet, and that may be an answer in itself, but I still have to ask, do I desire the things of God? Do I delight in them. What would you be willing to do for the cause of Christ? And David here in Psalm 19, which is a very popular psalm, you've probably heard portions of it before, he first tells us of, again, of God's glory. And can we ever tire of hearing about God's glory? But then second, he launches into the beauty of obedience and delight found in that obedience when we allow him to cleanse us and keep us from those sins that would set us at odd with our Heavenly Father. So you ready? Let's get started. So Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Look up at the night sky sometime. If you live in a large metroplex, it, it might be difficult to see the stars in the night sky. It may be difficult even during the day to fully appreciate the vastness of the sky with high-rises and just various buildings blocking the horizon. My wife and I, um, Crystal, we took a long weekend a few years back and, and stayed in a cabin far, far away from the hustle and the bustle of the city. You know, sitting on the porch of that cabin after the sun went down, the heavens declare the glory of God. And without being too cliche, when was the last time you took in a sunrise or a sunset? These things happen every day, and we miss them or we gloss over them as if they're less wonderful than everything else in our day. The beauty painted across a cloudless sky on a hot Texas summer day is just as beautiful. The science that God engineered to make the sky the color it is, the needed storm clouds as they roll across the open plains. Do we stop often enough? I find I'll be driving sometimes and get caught up in a moment when I see a hawk or a falcon swoop down and grab something off to the side of the road. In these little moments where God firstly shows mercy that I don't get in an accident sometimes, but in those little moments, I'm reminded of how grand and far-reaching his machinations are and just how small I am. We so easily get wrapped up in getting through our days, but the fact of the day itself is lost to us. We got another day. We were able to enjoy working for his kingdom, giving glory to his name, giving him worship in our work, in our play, in our lives. And we come home and the day is almost past and I'm just glad it's over, rolls off of our tongues like it wasn't a blessing to be alive that day. And there's knowledge in the night knowing that our Lord can give rest. And maybe you work nights so you don't get that, but then flip the night and the day around and it's no less capable of showing his glory to all those that can see it. Does, does not the seeming randomness yet total order of the stars flung out across the sky speak to his majesty? 
of his existence. This is why David says there isn't a language in which this declaration can't be heard. In the tribal villages of Papua New Guinea, in the deep jungles of Africa, or the untouched rainforests of Brazil, there may be a people group that, from a missionary perspective, remain untouched. However, they are being spoken to by the heavens, by the days of their lives, that there is a God, and he loves them, and he nourishes them, and he provides for them. It isn't nature that does those things. It isn't a God that they carved with their hands or fashioned with their own skill. The God creator of heaven and earth, the one that knows the number of their days, he is evident in all that surrounds them. The evidence of him spoken by creation itself is not amiss in any corner of the earth. And where our lips can't utter the gospel, the stones and the trees and the night sky indeed do cry out, see the creator of all things. See how he loves you. See how he cares for you. Come to him and believe. And these people can choose. They can choose to worship the true and living God to believe in him, or they can choose an idol. They can choose to worship nature. They can choose to worship the creation instead of the creator. But they will be without excuse in the end. And Paul sums up the effects of not seeing or the consequences of not seeing the glory of God declared in his creation in Romans 1. In verse 20, he says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, when they recognized that there was God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And we may sit as Christians and think it's sad or seek to find reasoning in how so many people groups remain untouched by the gospel without a missionary to send to them or a Bible with which we can teach them from. But the truth is that God's word can be taught to them from what they've known all their lives because they've already recognized that there's something greater than them. They've already sought out something to worship. It's revealing and amazing that when you look at indigenous peoples that are exposed to the gospel for the first time, what we never find is that they have no religion or no form of worship at all because the human heart desires to worship. And while our Western and modern civilization has turned that worship to humanity itself and all the desires that humanity has, we find that it's easy for indigenous peoples to believe that there is something greater than them. And they've found a thing to worship 
They've changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image like corruptible man, birds, beasts. And this is why they'll be without excuse at the end. They had the truth revealed to them in the heavens, in nature, in their own makeup and existence lies the truth of the existence of an almighty God. They've always seen that the heavens are a home for the light of the sun by design, that it's the canopy for the moon and the stars, that when the sun bursts forth every day, it's, it's very much like an excited bridegroom coming from the room where he's made himself ready for his bride, eager, full of promise. This is the sun that rises every day in our sky a promise from God of another day to live in his grace, to enjoy life more abundantly in him. And like a star athlete coming up off the blocks at the beginning of the race, so the sun greets us daily. So our God greets us daily. Look what blessings I have for you today. Look at how I'll provide for you today. Look at the mercies I have for you today. And like the sun shines down on us, so our God looks down on us and moves with us from one end of our day to the other end of our day. Those that are blessed by his presence bask in the glow of his light, but those that don't know him only want to complain about the heat, the exposure, how the light reveals so much of their sinful desires. As humans, we'll either bask in it or we'll be convicted by the eye of our God, but there's no escaping it. The Son also declares that our God reigns and He is good. It declares that the Creator is marvelous, magnificent, all powerful. That the Son declares the existence of God is also undeniable, and woe! To the one who does deny it, says Paul. For their denial and continued denial, God has given them up to their own lusts of their own hearts. Sins of the fathers carried down through generations where it once may have been possible to turn to him. Now entire people groups are rendered unable to heed the gospel declared in his handiwork because their forefathers' historical and continual denial of the God of the heavens. And we may ask, is it fair of God to hold them accountable for not seeing his glory declared in the heavens? Well, David jumps in to answer and confirms Paul's future statements. I believe even Paul pulls from this psalm as reference. Do we dare judge God's fairness in this matter? Because the law of the Lord is perfect. And this too, I think we glaze over. We all too often associate perfect and right with the word fair. Yet when you look, fairness is so subjective from a human perspective. 
Because I think it's fair that if a person does poorly at their job to discipline them and let them go if they show no improvement. Well, but it could be argued, and it has been to me, that that's not really fair. Have I given them enough chance to improve? Have I given them enough opportunity to learn? And what is enough? Like fairness, enough is also subjective. I think two scoops of ice cream when I want a snack is enough. You may think three is enough. You may think two is too many. I think that you can never own enough guns, but you may think that one is enough. When we try to define what is enough and what is fair, it's never perfect because we're imperfect. We're not God. When the Bible, through the leading of the Holy Spirit and the pen of David, says the law of the Lord is perfect, it doesn't mean fair. It doesn't mean enough. What it means is that it's just. What it means is that it's absolute. And because it is perfect, it's the only thing that can convert the soul. In God's law, he's allowed for the heavens and nature to declare that he is. He says that knowledge can convert the soul, can lead to him, can make a changed person. And it's only by this law that we can be made perfect. We all have to meet the same criteria. And that is we're not enough. He is And in believing that he is enough for us, our souls can be converted. The testimony seen in his creation is sure. It means it can be counted on. His truth and proofs of his existence are sure in nature, are sure in his creation. The simple that see that truth as revealed to them are are no more simple or ignorant of his existence but therein have become wise because of the knowledge and recognition of his perfectness. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom, and in recognizing the existence of God as declared in his handiwork, the person ignorant of him before that realization is no more ignorant but wise. Standing in awe of this God that created all things, they have become the wisest among humanity. In seeing the inner workings of his creation as the order is more and more revealed to us, we find rejoicing in how he has knitted all of creation together. The grass needs the sun to grow and the ox needs the grass to grow and we need the meat and the milk of the ox to grow. The circle of life isn't something that happens at the beginning of The Lion King. The circle of life is a beautiful symphony written, designed, and conducted by the author of order, an orchestration at a level of complexity and depth we can't even begin to imagine. Science hasn't yet found a way to explain every miraculous working of the nature that declares our creator. There are some things he's simply commanded to be so, and they are. 
And as science starts to figure out how they all work together, he is even revealed in the science of it all. And we're enlightened as we learn that even in the microcosm, he has given attention to every detail. And this should cause us to fear him, to stand in awe of his awesomeness. It is clean. It is right. It is faith-sustaining. And while it should move the unbeliever to salvation, it should move the believer to thanks, to wonderment. The way that he has ordered it all is righteous. We may ask, why did the Lord allow this earthquake? Why did the Lord allow this typhoon? Why did the Lord allow this hurricane, this wildfire? Why did the Lord allow this flood? Why did the Lord... Why did the Lord make so great a way of salvation for us? Because in all fairness, and I use air quotes here, he shouldn't have. In all fairness, he could have left us to be dirty, rotten, fleshy sinners and never offered a way of salvation for us. In all fairness, he should have scrapped the human race when Adam sinned and started over again with sinless perfection. In all fairness, he should never allow us to keep our salvation when we transgress against him as Christians. Do we want to ask why God allows things to happen? Really? If we do, we should ask why he loves us, why he died for us, why he still saves people. What he's ordained is true and righteous altogether. His will is perfect and it needs no validation from us. And if we serve a God that lives up to our standards or that we can understand all of his workings, then that's no God I want to serve. I want a God that I can desire more than gold. I want a God that is worth more to me than gold. I want a God that if I had all the gold in the world, I would give it all to know more about him. I want a God that if I had the best food that money could buy, that I would starve to know more about him. Do we seek our God like this? Do we desire our God like this? Do we look at the world he's created for us and think that we should give everything just to know him more? I, I sit here ashamed as I read this psalm and think of how my desire seems to always be for more things and not for more him. Because if you answered those questions, no, I don't desire him more. I don't desire him like this. You're not alone. Because most of the time, I don't either. And what a shame that we serve such a great God 
and just don't thank him and recognize his provision more. We don't have to rely on the heavens declaring his handiwork. We were given the gospel. We have resources like podcasts to glean the gospel from. And as I think about the seven downloads we've had of this podcast in Kenya, I think of how I've been blessed by the fact that anyone there has made a decision to listen. Just seeking the gospel, seeking to grow. Too often we take it for granted. Too often we're not warned by the accessibility of the gospel and how we just gloss over the fact that we're so fortunate to have the resources to study the gospel and God's word is our fingertips and we neglect it except on Sundays and Wednesday night. And have we robbed ourselves of rewards because we don't recognize the great daily rewards that God bestows on us? Worse yet, have we robbed ourselves of rewards because we simply just don't recognize them? Take a piece of paper. Now, if you're driving, don't do this right now. But take a piece of paper and write down the rewards, the blessings God has bestowed upon you in keeping his commandments and in recognizing him for who he is. Let me... Let me list some of mine. My wife, Crystal. You know, I never knew when the Lord brought her into my life how she would be such a daily blessing for me. And for the longest time, I neglected to appreciate what the Lord had given me. But once I realized what a gift she was from Him, and as I endeavored to continually keep that fact in front of me, I'm so blessed to have been rewarded with such a wonderful companion to go through this life of service with. Something else that would make that list would be my kids. And sure, they can be frustrating sometimes. And there have been times when they have not felt like a blessing in my life. But God entrusted me with their stewardship to care for them and raise them according to his instruction and I see his blessing in some of the decisions they make, even if it's not all of them. And I see him working in their lives, even when they don't. And I could go on, but we just don't have time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this offline and finish out my list and, and keep it close to my computer screen so that I'm reminded of the rewards he has so richly bestowed on me because... I endeavor to keep his precepts. And if the rewards falter, well, I should look at that as a warning that I may not be keeping the things he wants me to keep. Not because he doesn't want to bless me, but because I've moved outside of the scope of his blessing. And let that challenge me to understand how I err from his ways. Let the revelation of his blessing and his desires for my life reveal to me how I've fallen short. It's in his perfection that I can define my imperfection. So Lord, reveal to me those thoughts and those faults 
that I haven't seen yet. Show me how I've failed to give you the glory even in the things that I don't know about. In the viewing of the heavens and the revelation of your almighty power, let me see my weaknesses and my proclivity to sins. They're not faults that are hidden from you, God. They're faults that I I just haven't identified in myself yet. So let me look at my life in the light of the sun you've created for me. Let me illuminate the dark parts of my flesh with the light of your only son and help me to address the things that I find there. And Lord, keep me from the sins that I try to justify, from the ones that I want to hold on to. Do you have any of those? Just sins that you you hold on to, that you just don't want to let go? There, there are some sins that I held on to for a long time in my life because I, I just didn't want to give them up. I liked them too much. And there are things even now in my life, well, the things themselves are not sins. They, they just may not be beneficial for me and I've simply refused to recognize them yet as sins. Can you and I give them to God? Can we ask like David did, Lord, don't let them rule over my life. The minute we allow anything to rule over our lives more than we allow God to is the minute something becomes a sin simply because it's become an idol by definition. And the crazy thing is it can even be something good, something right, but we're doing it for ourselves and not God, for our own recognition and not for his glory. And it's only in the recognition of these things that the subsequent surrender of them to our heavenly father, therein can we be made upright. That we can lean on his righteousness fully. His righteousness is there and available to us always, but so often we tend to forget that he has made us righteous. It isn't us that create the righteousness we seek. It's only in his righteousness that we're free of transgressions. In his righteousness, we're made free. Free to enjoy his blessings. Free to enjoy his rewards. Free to live a life that's pleasing to him. Free to operate within the boundaries of his love. And we find innocence in his perpetual progressive sanctification as he convicts us of those things that just aren't beneficial for us and moves our hearts to let them go so that we can give him the glory for the victories in our lives, for the accomplishments in our lives. And all this so that we can be less of ourselves and more of him. So world, the world can see the legacy of Christ and not the legacy of a good man or a good woman. There's none good but him. Lord, let every communication, every thought, every intent of my mind be glorifying to God. Let me practice as you've commanded through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.5, let me cast down my imaginations every high thing that wants to exalt itself against your knowledge 
against your ways, against your laws, against your commands. Lord, help me to bring every thought into captivity and discard the ones that don't allow me to be obedient to Christ. Because it's only Christ who's acceptable in your sight. It's only perfection that can be acceptable in your sight. And by allowing the Holy Spirit to align my heart with the heart of your son, I'm made acceptable in your sight. I'm made perfect in his perfection. You alone can be the strength I need to serve you. You alone can empower me to live in your will, to abide in your presence. You're my strength. You're my redeemer. You're Jehovah Goel, God, my redeemer. So the next time we look at the heavens, remember that you've been redeemed. And if you haven't been redeemed, let it remind you that there is a God who redeems. We're all without excuse. With every sunrise and sunset, God reveals to us every portion of the gospel, his love, his mercy, his provision, and his grace. So drink it in. Thank him for it. Lean on him and allow him to bless you in the knowledge that he is God. Thanks for walking with me a little while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week and we'll walk just a little further? If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.